Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. The mayhem well underway. Of course, uh, in, in a perfect world, we would be getting ready for the Supers and all highly anticipating another trip back to Oklahoma City. Your usual cast of characters, plus one, Beth, Jess, Amanda, Shro, Holly, Smitty, J-Mac, uh, Kim, Colin, PR Superstar, Bailey, Justine, and Jersey Meg all behind the scenes and very prominently in front of the scenes uh, on camera with us. Four-time national champion, Patty Gasso, head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Thanks so much for joining us, Patty. Always a pleasure to see your smiling face this time of year. Thank you. And when I see you guys, it means championships are on their way. So it feels good to see your faces. We've got a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. So let's go back uh, to uh, the pseudo beginning, if you will. A lot was made about Michigan's big win in 2005. But I, I think sort of the um, the manifest destiny from West Coast to East Coast actually uh, started in 2000 with your first championship team and, and really helped explode the growth of the game because of all the energy and enthusiasm um, in Oklahoma City that year. Take us back to that first national championship, and we'll start a, a little trip here through uh, the other three after that. But the significance of that and, and any recollection that you have of that big week. Yeah, I don't remember a lot, but I do remember a lot about that. And um, we were a team of just upstart, feisty, blue-collar players. Nobody knew any of our names. Um, And this team was probably the most competitive, hardworking team I've ever had. And they were really good and they didn't know it. And that was the beauty of it is they didn't go in with any kind of expectations. And the attitude at OU was a little more like, hey, good luck to you. We're so proud of you. If you could win one game, we would be thrilled. But if you don't, we're good. We're just so proud. You're such sweet girls. You gals are just so, you know, it was kind of more like that. So The beauty of it was probably our ignorance going in and not knowing to be nervous, not knowing. We knew the names. We knew the names of the players, and I definitely knew the coaches. Um, There were people that I was trying to emulate myself. So um, it was almost like we were in a dream. And then I I do remember my – my son, JT, was probably around 11 or 12, and DJ, who's now 25, was a little four-year-old. They had their faces painted. They had their bandanas on. And I remember walking on to the College World Series field with them our first time walking out for our first game. And I believe it was against Cal Berkeley and Jocelyn um, Forrest, who was just a <laughs> – she's someone that doesn't get talked about much. She was an absolute – star and uh I remember walking on from the outfield you guys know how the gates are and you don't you can't really see over the gates or the fence and they open the gates and we walk in and I just was overtaken with awe of the amount of people there and had my kids with me and it was a moment I'll never ever 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 forget it was just like this is a dream that I'm living and I never thought that I would ever be here and so again it's just the attitude of we had no nerves because nobody expected anything from us really and what we didn't know 
certainly didn't hurt us. So It ended up being historic. You guys were the first team to beat uh, both Arizona and UCLA en route to the championship, did it in the semis and the finals. Now down to the field, ladies and gentlemen, with the Emmy-nominated Hall of Fame Stadium reporter, Holly Rowe. Well, I wanted to know, Coach, how you went from being that coach that was, you know, excited to be there and like, oh, we hope we win one game, to a coach who thrives and believes in a championship mindset. So how did you go from we're happy to be here to we expect to be here in your coaching career? Um, well, first, the championship mindset is not so much about winning games. It's just a way to live. It's a way to train. It's a way to live. It's a way to treat people. Um, but when you win one, it's kind of like a, it's wonderful, but you've taken a bite out of the forbidden apple and all you want is another bite and you just, all you want to do is get there and have a chance to win. And it's, it's like a, it's like a drug that just owns you and you just want more, 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 more. And, uh, on top of that, the fans in Oklahoma are spoiled and they get lots of championships surrounding them. And that's what their expectations are. So we don't want to disappoint, but also it's our standard. Um, it's become our standard. If you're really competing at your highest level, and that's what you should want. That's what you should want. That's what your goal should be. So um, it's the tough part is, one, getting the, the great athletes to be able to do it. The second part is just keeping it really comfortable and not something that you feel like you must do. We have to. If we have to, we're not. If, it's, if we're afraid, we're not. If we're anxious, we're not, you know, it's, it's all of those things. So it's, and I don't know, but just a little bit of luck with it too. Patty, you mentioned number one is getting the, the great athletes to do it. One of the things that so many people praise you on is the recruiting and not only to combine the local community and get local athletes within the state of Oklahoma, but you went and tapped into California. You, Back before everyone else was able to get those California kids to leave the Pac-12, you were one of the first to convince athletes at the time they were the best to come to, to Oklahoma. How, how did you do that? Well, I was born and bred there, and so I knew a lot about um, the state and how good softball was. I mean, I coached, I coached at Jenny Finch's high school before Jenny Finch was at La Mirada High School. So I... I learned a lot about the athletes out in California. Um, and I just knew they were at a different level to me. They were ahead of the game. And um, if I'm a California kid that lived four blocks from the beach and I can move to Oklahoma, so can you. And here is why. <laughs> so, um, it's trying to get them to understand we're not haystacks and horses and horse and carriages and I mean, we're a little bit more in tune with what's going on in the world is like anyone else, but it's just getting them, getting a little bit out of that California craziness, although it's beautiful and, you know, there's so much to do, but at the same time, um, they can really feel a small town environment of good uh, community, good people that care about you, just the old style way of 
you know, living. Um, so there's not a lot of crowds. There's not a lot of people. Things are inexpensive, but it's a small town with a big time college atmosphere. And it's so much fun. And the one thing that they say when they come out here is not, oh, um, wow, Coach Gasso, we're coming here to play for you. No, it's more of the people are great. Wow, these people are so nice. They're so friendly. And uh, that's really what some of the first things they say is just how captivating they are with the community and the people in Oklahoma, which has kept me here for 26 years as well. You know, Coach Gasso, I, I hear that and understand it, but I think working with a lot of your players, having them work, you know, for me at clinics, they respect you more than any other coach in the country. Like your players speak about you in such a high regard, almost balancing on enough fear, but respect. You do such a good job of that. Um, how have you been able to progress over time and through different generations of athletes? Because it's tough in this day and age to still be tough on your athletes, but have them respect you. How have you been able to kind of maneuver through the different generations and, and winning in 2000 and then 17 and continuing to have championship level teams? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've changed. I've changed a lot. Um, my players from 2000 are so upset with me and I talk to them quite a bit and they're like, you're so soft. What's wrong with you? You would never talk to it. You know, I'm like, it's a different generation. And I knew that I had to make that change to meet that this new generation halfway. Cause I think you all would know you all would agree. It's different. It's just a different with social media and all the things that are going on. It's quite different. And I had to find how to connect if I can't connect with players, I'm no good at any of it. So what's funny, too, is um, I get a lot of people that don't know me think of me as just being a hardcore, hardcore coach. And a lot of you women on the call know I could be. I think I have a pretty good sense of humor, but nobody talks about that. It's more of why did she look so mean in the coaching box and why is she this and that? And, it used to bother me a lot, to be honest, but I don't care anymore because the only thing I care about is what my players feel and think. And if I can make them happy and they know that I've got their best interest, that's all I care about. But I used to care about what people thought. But, you know, a woman that is successful or high power in whatever she's doing, she's going to get that label. And so to me, I actually take it as a compliment. So. Yeah, so things that we, you know, might not know about you. Have you been to Joe Exotics? I mean, I feel like we have to know. Tiger was a, big, was a big hit. If I did, I would not admit it. So I'm going <laughs> to let you just – okay, no, I have not. I have not. I am honored to say that I live relatively not too far away that I could drive over there, but uh, I wouldn't see him because he won't be seen for a while. That was like everyone else. I was so captivated with the most ridiculous Netflix show I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I've been calling your athletic director. We did an interview with Joe Castiglio and your athletic director, who I think is one of the best in America. And he kept calling him Joe Exotica. So next time you see Joe, <laughs> you can call him Joe Exotica. 
It's hilarious. That's a whole, that's a whole nother. There's something we don't know if he adds an A to exotic. There's something we don't want to know probably. But yet we wouldn't all be surprised. I mean, it would just be another drop in the bucket, you know? Um, my real question for you, I mean, that was a real question, but uh, my real question softball related is like, what keeps you going as a coach? Why do you keep coaching? Like what keeps you showing up to the field? Like what's your why? Um, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was on a couple phone interviews today and um, they're asking, like, I'm, we're all complaining about Zoom calls, right? And oh gosh, and, uh, and, and I feel like it's work sometimes to do, not with you, obviously, ladies. I enjoy it, of course not. Um, but when I'm on the field or when we're at practice, it's work. But I just really realized today that it's really not work. Like, I I wish I was there. Um, So what keeps me going is just um, I'm competitive. I love competition. I love intense games. I thrive on that. I would rather play 100 tight games than have blowouts. Um, It just brings out the best in coaches and in athletes or not. Um, but I, I love the chase. I love watching players learn. I love watching players turn a corner. I love that aha moment that they get. And then their whole career changes in that one moment when they get something. So I love the journey that they take. I love the growth, but with all of that and watching them turn into women wins come with that. So it's not our focus on win, win, win. We got to win, win. It's more of uh, let's grind and see what we can do as a team and let's learn and let's compete and all of those good things. So I just, I love the process. I love it. I just wanted to follow up on that really quickly before the next person asks a question. Uh, you know, we saw Muffet McGraw, a very successful coach from Notre Dame, suddenly announce her resignation and her retirement during this pandemic. And I have worried a little bit for coaches of a certain age or level of experience that you get used to being home and you see that there are other things to life during this time away and, and it tempts you to step away. What, what kind of thoughts like that have gone through your mind? Is this a subliminal message? <laughs> no, the, please don't leave us message. Don't ever leave us message. I am an older coach, is what you're saying. Okay, I, I can accept that. I got that, that. I got that subtext. I'm good. Um, I would have to say that my garden is on point right now. On point. It looks beautiful. Um, when I am at home, I don't feel the same kind of stress. So that definitely is nice to feel like I'm reconnected with my husband because, and with my animal, my two dogs, uh, I'm never home. So quite honestly, for the first, I was at home going, what am I supposed to do? I've never been at home this long. What do I do? I'm not quite sure. Um, so I started cleaning the grout. Why? I don't know, but I did. And it was a big, hard job. Um, so yes, it's nice to get things done around the house. It's nice to do things like that, but I am definitely incomplete right now. I just, I, I'm almost like I'm trying to do things to keep me busy because my heart wants to be on that field with this team. Um, 
but I am understanding that I can't boohoo about this. It's not right. It's life. It's part of life. So I'm trying to stay very upbeat with our players as well. Um, because I just, when I start thinking about the future, they would have been six months before I get to see them again, literally. And when they get back on the field, hopefully, fingers crossed, in early September, it's going to be like the most joyous party ever. I just, I know they're bubbling. Everyone's just like, we got to play, we got to play. And until it's safe, we're not. But when it is safe, it's going to be an absolute celebration. So I'm just yearning for that. And in the meantime, trying to be productive however I can. Coach, um, I'd love to hear your perspective on um, the growth of the game, maybe um, Oklahoma City and just the way the Women's College World Series has grown. Your first championship in 2000 was a single-game championship. The other three have been the the series, the three-game championship. And just the way that that event has grown uh, and and how maybe you've had to grow as a coach as the game has progressed. Well, um, it's kind of interesting because I first started going to the College World Series when I was coaching at Long Beach City College just to go watch it. And back then, there was maybe 2,000 people, and I was just like, oh, my, you know, like it was so, such a wow factor back then, just watching it. Wow, just wow. And then um, the great people like Meg and all of you that work for ESPN really did a phenomenal job putting this out there for the people. And I think once you can get someone to sit down and get caught up in the game a little bit, you've got them. Thus, we are one of the highest viewed championships there are. So to feel like maybe Oklahoma played a super small part in maybe getting people pumped or like, I love the way your team plays or look how much they enjoy the game. I, in the, the, uh, the last dance episodes, during the commercials, they showed some really cool commercials. And Shay Knighton is yes, in it. Yeah, yeah. He had a home run at the World Series. And I'm just, I start crying. I'm like, why am I crying? What? Is it the pandemic? What am I crying for? But it's because <laughs> of the fact that it just brought me joy to see her have joy. But also knowing that people feel joy through our athletes. And I don't know that I've ever felt that before. And some of the letters and some of the cards and it's just people get a lot of joy. We bring, I mean, the sport of softball brings joy to a lot of people. And now that 2000 turned to 12,000, which will turn to 15 plus thousand. And I think it's just going to keep going. So it's been I, I never imagined in my lifetime that I would see this and I am beyond overjoyed and over the moon that I'm able to witness and experience this. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think you, you can certainly take a lot of pride, Patty, in the fact that you, you may have had the best team that's ever been to the World Series, that 2013 team that was 57-4. and four. You may have been a part of the greatest moment in World Series history, that 17-inning game. Um, but, but also just the fact that you keep getting back there because you're also, uh, part of a, one of the most memorable moments in UCLA history last year, the epic 
2012 final, the Dancing in the Rain with Alabama. So you you guys have had your your bats and your gloves around a lot of softball history. Um, is there a moment for you or against you or just as a fan that sticks out in your World Series memory that you watched and you were like, wow, that that is that is something else, or we will be talking about that. 25 years from now? Um, 17 inning game, I don't remember a lot of because you're so lost in the moment of it that I really had to go back and watch it a few times to remember some things. Um, I think Shay Knighton's home run was something that I'll never forget. Um, a ball, nobody probably thinks about this at all, but a ball that went off the wall that Nicole Mendez made a play, Jess Mendoza, you, I'm sure you will remember this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> outfielder. She, uh, it, it was a critical part of the game. And, of course, Amanda Lorenz hit the ball off the wall, and Nicole Mendez picked it up and just threw a razor and threw her out at um, second base. And that was a huge play. Got a big um, burst of emotion out of Paige Parker, and everybody kind of joined in on that. So I do remember that. And I could even think back in 2013 when um, uh, Tennessee had us down to the absolute wire and Lauren Chamberlain hit. We went extra innings. We were down by three going into the 12th, I think. And uh, Lauren Chamberlain hit a ball literally off her shoelaces to uh, win the game for us. Uh, but even getting back in that game was something I'll never forget. Some really clutch hitting by some of these guys. And And one thing just for – I always look at it for kids to learn. Kaylani Ricketts hit a towering fly ball, and she was so upset already because she had given up the three-run home run to Shipman. And um, Kaylani was so upset that she did not hit the ball hard. But the one thing that got drilled into her mind is you always run it out and you run it hard. And she ended up at second, and the wind came out of nowhere, and the ball was dropped. And if she wouldn't have done that, we would not have won that game, which means we may not have won that series. So, um, And then to be quite honest with you, 2012 was, was a very tough thing to go through um, to Alabama because I think as a team we were very certain. We, we felt very confident we were going to win. But we are smart enough to know that – going through some of the hardest time, like the biggest heartbreak, softball heartbreak you can have, created a team that just went on a, a terror um, 2013 and beyond. So sometimes you got to feel and experience the worst heartbreak to understand how to go to another place. And, and uh, we did that. Coach, I want to look forward. I, I, get, I get goosebumps listening to you talk about all the past, but you've had these illustrious players, the Lauren Chamberlains, Kaylani Ricketts, uh, Sydney Romero, Shane Knightons, we can just name them on and on. But I know the recruiting classes that you have coming in. I know freshman Kinsey Hansen, who had one of, I mean, what could have been the most prolific freshman campaign. She was starting that. What are you most looking forward to going forward? And what do you hope that your legacy as a coach is on this sport when it's all said and done? Oh, uh, 
Well, I, I'm really excited about the athletes coming in. And I just, what I like to see is the upperclassmen teaching the newcomers how to do this. Um, I don't know that Michael Jordan's style would come across very eloquently amongst young females. You know, if you have a female version of a Michael Jordan just getting after, I don't know that they'd get a lot of response back, but I need good leaders, leaders who want to get there. And that's one thing that I think we've, we didn't do a great job of this last year because we lost some very important players in Sid Romero, Shay Knight, and Kaylee Clifton and so forth. So um, I, I am anxious to see how our, our uh, returners blend the newcomers in in the future as well. So just as kind of like you got the torch now, you got the torch now, you got the torch now. Um, my legacy is just um, to say that I did things the right way and um, maybe I helped grow the game a little bit. But I think more than anything, I just want to I, – it would be an honor to, for any of my players to, to say that I did something to empower them as a woman, to make them a little more brave and stand up for what's right. And I look at all of you that are on this call, and you have the same – you know, like I think of Jess Mendoza breaking down some walls most definitely, and – all of a sudden, a lot of my uh, athletes want to be like commentating or, you know, following the paths of you guys because you've shown that uh, the people love it. And the fact that a woman could work in a man's sport, that is just off the charts for them. So um, I just say if I could be one of you and one of all the many role models out there to help catapult this these athletes in this sport i would be extremely happy and proud of that that's awesome uh, all right coach i'm gonna just throw it out there um every national championship you've won you've won with a lefty in the circle oh come on <laughs> no. we go. um how big of a how big of a deal is that when it comes to recruiting like i mean obviously you've had some of the best left-handers in the entire game um is that like, is that a formula? Is that like something that you have said, this is the way I know I am going to win national championships? Um, by the way, lefties always have good hair like you do. <laughs> yes, no. So <laughs> um, I, I think it started with Jennifer Stewart in, in the year 2000. And she was more of that less crafty, and when you'd hear people talk about her, it was like, I, it's hard to see the ball out of her hand. And it's just the way lefties almost seem like they hide the ball or just, it's just harder to see a lefty pitcher, I think. Um, and they can break balls in, like good curveballs in on the righties. They can also throw those, like they, they, I just feel like they have a lot of different, the, the angle that they're throwing from, gives them a great advantage. Um, we, I don't know, they posted things out as calling us lefty university. Um, but look, I want good righties too. So um, I don't want anyone to think, well, I'm right-handed. I can't go to Oklahoma because that's not the case. We just have had very good luck with that. And uh, 
I don't know, lefties kind of tend I think I have had pitching coaches, Coach Lombardi and Coach Rocha, that both call a very good game for lefties. And I think that's important. Okay, we've talked so much. We, you know, obviously the successes, the championships, the glory, all that. So easy to, to focus on that. But I think one of the things you, you mentioned 26 years in Norman, the amount of time is – the challenges, and if you could kind of think back on maybe some of the hardest times that you've had to kind of persevere and get through to get to this point, being a mother, you know, balancing so many different things, and, you know, the personal with coaching, I mean, just to shed light on that, it isn't always perfect, but you were able to get through this time to be able to continue on being the coach that you are. Yeah, I, the hardest time of my life was in the year – 20, well, 20, 1999. Gosh, it sounds so weird to say that, but um, I was coaching and I knew that this is too much. Like I, I can't be a good mother and I cannot be a good coach and I'm not making the money to make it worth it. I took a pay cut to come out here from working what? at a junior college in California. I know. Don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, so my husband and I decided this is going to be the last year at OU. And after the 2020 or 2000 season, we are going back to California. So, I mean, I was about ready to get my draft, my letter of resignation, and we won the national championship. So that's the good Lord saying, no, you're not. You're supposed to stay right here. And then the pay raise came and so forth. But my husband moved back ahead of me. So he was back there. He had a full-time job at um, Fullerton Junior College as their soccer coach. So he's got a nice position, and I'm still here. We got a pay raise. And so he said, okay, let's just – let me see. Let You do your thing. I'll do mine. We'll stay connected. And let's see – at the end of a couple months, who's got it better? What, what works better for our family? Well, that took us three years to figure out. So I'm raising my two kids by myself um, and trying to do what I'm doing without my husband here, which was the hardest time. And that one thing I remember is DJ being a little kid and I'm reading him a bedtime story. And I mean, it's one page and I am asleep. So he's like nudging me, like, wake up, finish, finish. And then he's like, you know what, mom, you're tired. I'll read it to you. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I was just so exhausted, so exhausted, which made me moody. I felt behind um, in everything that I was doing. And then the people out here, my neighbors are so wonderful. It was truly a village raising my family. And then my husband's like this, okay, I'm coming back. And the rest is history that way. And then my last thing was uh, fighting for my salary. That was the most stressful, most uncomfortable professional moment that I ever had, knowing that, um, again, I'm going to have to be ready to turn in my resignation um, and be ready to know what I'm going to do next. So both of those times had something to do with leaving the University of Oklahoma. 
I feel like we found a a leading option for like our softball version of the last dance. Like we need to make a documentary on Patty Gasso and your life and career. I feel like it'd be super interesting. Oh no. Yeah. I got to fix these roots. They're just (laughs) terrific. Oh, who are you talking to? I'm a skunk right now. I know. I see yours too. And Beth. No, but (laughs) I, um, (laughs) just, let me just make sure we have all the facts right for your documentary. So, uh, children's books make you sleepy. (laughs) The good Lord did in fact want you to win in 2000. Can I use that quote? Yes. Um, I coached at La Mirada High School. You were the coach of the Matadors before Jenny Finch was there. Absolutely. Good nugget in 25 years. We did not know that. Uh-huh. Patty Gasso is funny, America. You need to know that. <laughs> what I have to add is how a pair of white short shorts determined who she would marry and date. Oh. Oh, that you, would, you guys won't even know. Beth might know. I, that's a good episode right Remember there. the dolphin shorts that we yes. used to wear way back when? Yes. Yeah. The dolphin shorts won me Jim Gasso at Long Beach State University. I yes. was my husband in my dolphin shorts. Oh, your gar- speaking of all that, your garden is on the point. What is Yes. What is in your garden? Are you a zucchini tomato kind of gal? Or what uh, you- we've got some jalapenos, oh, tomatoes, some cucumbers, some basil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yes. All right. All right. You do. You claim. You claim you do not know how to get to the Tiger King Park. So we'll we'll take yeah. your word on that. Um, and uh, all you want is another bite of the forbidden fruit when the next softball season begins. Another title. Always hungry. Thank you so much for joining us, Patricia. Always a pleasure. Wonderful to see you guys. I feel a sense of normalcy seeing all of your faces. Seven Innings Podcast uh, with our uh, usual cast of characters here having some fun um, uh, trip down memory lane, Holly Rowe. We, we got some Women's College World Series memories we were hoping to make this year, but we're excited about coming back strong next season. What do you always think of this time of year, Holly? Um, it, it's a mix between College World Series and tornadoes. I think we should share on this podcast some of our famous, um, like we've been hunkered down here in Oklahoma City. But I wanted to give you a couple of historical trip down memory lanes. So the the Women's College World Series started on ESPN in 1982. Only one game a year, the only the championship game was aired on ESPN up until 1995 when they started doing more games. And then, of course, in 2001, the entire event started getting televised. The highest single game championship rating I could find was Tennessee, Arizona in 2007 got a 1.79 rating. And in 2019, 17 games, more than 17,854,000 people watched. 17 games, 17 million people watched the Women's College World Series last summer. That is good stuff. Thank you for looking up all that, by the way, just because I didn't realize, I always wanted to know, like, when was the first television, like, when did all the, it began, I remember watching Nancy Evans in the 90s, but, like, it was one game, and that was all you got for the entire year, I mean, it's crazy to think about, and I'm just, I'm so happy where we're at now, I, 
I, I know it's cliche. I always go back to that 2005 year being so pivotal for the game. Um, not only did another team besides the Pac-12 win, you know, an Eastern team in Michigan winning it all, but the fact that it was the first time having a three-game championship series. Holly, I remember watching that and feeling like we had really arrived. Because even as an athlete playing in a one-game championship when everything you ever knew, right, the World Series and Major League Baseball, the NBA, anything you ever watched, it wasn't one game. And so it just made it feel like the event that it was. And Sam Finley in that home run, I just felt like put the Women's Falls World Series and Michigan, but really the national part of that sport, of our sport, on the map. And let me, yeah, I think that's a great point. Let me tell you quickly some of the attendance numbers. Um, in the first ESPN televised event in 1982, there was a total attendance of 17,740 people came to Oklahoma City in person. Um, last year, the single, the total attendance numbers for the Women's College World Series, so from 17,000 to 184,428 people came to Oklahoma City. The single season or the single session record is 8,527. And of course, when we get back to playing, we will crush that with the big new stadium. So from 17,000 to 184,000 attending Oklahoma City in person, huge, huge numbers and growth in our sport. Love it. Love it. Of course, the 2005 you referenced was the Finley home run for Michigan over UCLA. And then that uh, the highest rated 2007 would have been Monica Abbott and Taryn Mowat in that Tennessee, uh, Arizona showdown. Shro? Well, and I think about that 2007 Taryn Mowat and her winning an ESPY soon after that. And I can't help but think that the ratings for ESPN played into her winning that ESPY because, I mean, I remember I was in college during that time and it was so cool for a softball player to win an ESPY award, right? So it's, I mean, it's been crazy to see the growth. And I specifically remember being in high school in 2001 and watching um, UCLA in 2002 with Natasha Watley coming into slide against Kat Osterman and like these moments. And then now being at the World Series last year, looking back at just the insane amount of growth. But I'm so excited for the youth because all these players get to watch their idols, their role models on TV all the time. And I think that... ESPN, the ratings, television has helped improve the game as far as the youth level so much. It's crazy to see these players and how good they are. But at this moment in time, normally, I'm always excited and thinking, who's going to be the one that's going to step up on the big stage? Like, I can't help but think right now, who would it have been in 2020? Who would who would have been the person, the team? Like That just gives me goosebumps to think about. Well, Jen, and it's that person, that team that grows the fan base because one fan starts to watch the Women's College World Series who's never watched it before, and they fall in love with that team, that person that you're talking about. And so I think of all the fans who end up just going over the edge in their pure passion and love for the sport of softball, and that carries over into the next year. And you guys, I remember being down in the field. Holly, you were reading the attendance statistics, and I played my first game at the World Series in 2007, pitching against Monica Abbott. And I remember being down on the field, everything was so loud, you guys. Like the rustle is just like the rustle of bands in their paper and talking and they're not even talking at you and walking like it's louder everything is just 
bigger on that field. And so that's what I really think about is those athletes who at the world series, they have to figure it out. Like at first it's really nerve wracking. And then you can see the teams throughout the world series really start to settle in to that eventual national champion. Well, I just, I I love the fact of the growth of everything from our sport, um, the stadium. I remember playing the first ever collegiate game in that stadium in the late eighties and uh, the berms, nothing was finished off. It was still just red clay, Oklahoma dirt. And then it got sod and, and then the stadiums, we went down the lines and just seeing the growth of how we've, we had to make the stadium bigger and better because the fans were coming. Um, The fan festival. How about that? It used to be all just parking out front. Now there's this great environment for all the fans to come in, even when they're waiting to go into their sessions, just seeing that growth. How about our ESPN compound? It used to be one little truck off to the side <laughs> down the right field line. And now it's like we have, we overflow down beyond the berm. It's just, it's so much fun just to see how the sport has grown. I'm just, I'm so proud of it. I used to fly home from Japan when I was playing professionally in Japan. I used to fly home just to come be able to commentate because I wanted to be in that environment because it was just so exciting to see how our sport had grown uh, for the athletes and for these young future athletes. So I'm very proud to be a part of all of it. Just, it makes me light up to think about it. Okay. I wore my special world series t-shirt today for a special reason. What does the quote say on the back? Can somebody read it? Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. Hashtag mayhem. (laughs) Okay, that's the wrong T-shirt. I thought I wore the shirt that said, everybody's a softball fan, you just don't know it yet. I, I apparently grabbed the wrong shirt. <laughs> so a good one. Thanks for going for it. Durham reference, Holly Rowe. I spent all this time finding this shirt, and it's the wrong well, one. I'm glad at least it was that shirt, not like it's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, I came on board in 1994. And that was in the heyday of the UCLA-Arizona rivalry. Ten, think about it, 10 years in a row, one or the other won the national championship. And I think it was five times during that stretch head-to-head. Everybody loves a dynasty. Everybody loves the fact that Holly wore the wrong T-shirt today. Um, <laughs> but the, the, it was the first time, I think, for a lot of fans of women's athletics. It was still uh, prior to the Tennessee-UConn women's basketball rivalry. So – this all of a sudden on television every spring was Yankees Red Sox. It was Lakers Celtics. It was Steelers Cowboys. It was championship performances head to head by these two powerhouses. And then Fresno State sneaks in there in the late nineties. The game starts spreading around a little bit. Oklahoma wins in 2000. Cal and that emotional Jocelyn Forrest experience in 2002. And then Michigan arrives in 2005. So. Just the dynasty of those two programs and the growth of the game that sprung from that. Everybody wanted to go to one of those schools, and then all of a sudden things started to change as the depth of the talent pool got bigger and bigger. Okay, I'm not going to go to one of those schools. I'm going to go somewhere else and start our own tradition and try and beat those guys. It was fascinating to watch. Beth, uh, think, about, think about this. In 1991 – the Arizona UCLA game that was the only game televised on ESPN got a 1.31 rating, which means over a million people watched that game. And I think you could point to the 1991 television game between UCLA and Arizona as the first piece of the explosion of college softball. Yep. I would agree. I would agree. 
And now I love these numbers, Holly. That's so cool because we talk about how it grows in the history. But to actually have the numbers and the years, like now it really gives me like 17,184. I mean, it's awesome. And wait till we see the new place next year. With the upper deck, folks, you can sit in the upper deck next year at the Women's College World Series. going to be fabulous. So good times, ladies. Nice little trip down memory lane. Hopefully many more to come. All right, before we leave you today, big news, big, big news coming up because what do we love during this uh, time when we're all at home and looking for wonderful softball material to discuss and debate? How about the Seven Innings Podcast, Best Ever? That's right. We are going to, with your help, we need your votes, support on social media, the best player in history at each and every position. We'll, we'll also give you a utility player, a right-handed pitcher, and a left-handed pitcher. Holly Rowe, we've got eight names in each position to debate, discuss, to break it all down. And the thing that I love about this is we are going to include the fans. You will have an opportunity to cast your vote. We will unveil that through social media with ESPN, the Seven Innings Podcast, social media platforms. So your voice will be primary. We're going to get passionate. We're going to debate this back and forth. And we will come away with the best team ever assembled in college softball. No participation trophies, Michelle Smith. Only one player per per position in this thing. Can you imagine writing this lineup card? I'd love to be the coach team. It would be just incredible. Um, And then can you imagine trying to get any competition, someone to play you? That might be hard to, to get some games. How about that bullpen trying to figure out who's going to be the starting pitcher, Amanda? Yeah, you can have a few lefties, a few righties. We're going to break it down, which is awesome. I'm going to be really interested to see everybody's viewpoint. Are you going to look at it from more of a defensive perspective or from more of an offensive perspective? Like, surely, like Michelle was saying, how would you write out your lineup card to create the best team? So it'll be a whole lot of fun to debate. I know this, that my lineup, I'm going to be using the flex position rule to be a master. So oh, we don't have time for that, Holly. Like, we don't have time for the flex. There's no beer league flex. outfielder, no short fielder in this, Holly Row. We can't sneak anyone else into the lineup. That's it. One catcher, one first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, three outies, a utility, a righty, and a lefty. More information coming from Kim. PR superstar and the folks at ESPN later in the week. Actually, I think Thursday, major announcement. And then the voting starts May 26th and runs through June 4th. And, of course, we will be there, the Seven Innings Podcasters, to help walk you through the entire process. So dig into that batter's box. Get that toe. ah, Get that toe right there on the old pitching rubber. And let's do this thing. The Seven Innings Podcast, best ever. May the best women win. We'll see you next week.